you have caveman brains. Don't worry, we all do. It's part of our brain's makeup that formed back when not fitting in meant certain death. But now we live in an advanced age with modern luxuries, and that same part of our brain causes us an endless amount of suffering. So join my expert and I as we explore how we can turn it off. Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast, a show that acknowledges no one is always an expert by dispelling misconceptions with real experts. I'm your host as always, Colton Petrie. My guest today is Dr. Betsy Holmberg. Our good doctor has worked on psychology at Duke and published research at Harvard, so you know she's very good at what she does. And what she does best is prove to people that the automatic thoughts and response that you have going on in your head every day of your life are not only provably false, but actively harming you. And this isn't about thinking you're always awesome or perfectly performing tasks. Your brain on its best behavior doesn't even do that unless you're a psychopath or a narcissist. Honestly, by the end of this episode, you're going to be listening to me experience an epiphany in real time, and it's probably the same one you're going to have after hearing it because it's too simple to not engage with. Let's silence that outdated chunk of brain. Welcome to the show, Dr. Betsy Holmberg. Thank you for having me. Great to be here, Colton. Yeah, so great to have you on the show. Why don't you introduce yourself for the audience? Sure. So I'm Dr. Betsy Holmberg, and I'm a psychologist. I did my PhD at Duke, and I conducted and published research at Harvard. And um, then I ran the mental health service line for McKinsey & Company, which is a global consulting firm. And then after that, I went through one of the toughest times in my life. And I, um, my husband left me after two years of marriage and I, the whole process was incredibly difficult and I got very depressed. And so I went on an antidepressant that helped. And, but three years later, I was still struggling and I felt that that antidepressant was the thing that was holding me together and keeping me functioning and not myself. And so in a fit of desperation, I went back to my roots and I went back to the academic literature to see what was going on with me. How can I get over this feeling of being damaged for good? You know, and um, it was then that I discovered why we think and where these thoughts really come from. And it completely changed my life. And I started titrating off my antidepressant and uh, I have never looked back. And that was such a huge healing. And it was such a shift for me that now I am out here wanting to share it all with you guys because it really changed my life. Yeah. And that's incredible that you can, you know, you found something in this darker place that can help people. And I can't imagine the feeling of like, the only thing holding my life together right now is this medication. Because then you're like, what if this medication just stops working? Totally. And it was really frustrating because I kept on wanting to get off of it. You know, no one wants to be on an antidepressant forever. We all struggle with that. And every time I started to titrate down, I could feel all of the negative thoughts flare back up. It was, I can't do this. I am not a good enough mom. Like, I am i can't be there for the, my kid the way I want to be. It's not the life I wanted to give him. I'm never going to be able to do this. I can't do this. Like, it shouted in my brain. And... The only thing that got it to stop was taking the pill. And now I know why. And so it was really an interesting process to go through. Yeah. And you certainly have some, you know, some name drops earlier where you're like, you know, Duke, (laughs) Harvard, just casual school stuff. So you've got some backing there. What did you kind of find when you started to look into the, you know, the academic side? Like you said, you started to study why this is happening. What was the result? So they our thoughts all come from two networks in the brain. The first network is called the central executive network. And this is where you have the thoughts that you choose to have. 
So this is really where you run the show. So if you try to solve a problem, you're using your central executive. If you identify a goal and then go after it, that's you using your central executive. Then we have another thought network called, the scientists call it the default mode network. I call this the tribal brain. So these were our first thoughts. This is when humans started thinking and it traces all the way back to when we were cavemen. And it helped us evolutionarily form and live in clans. So it served a really important purpose. You know, it helped us see that we wanted to be together. It helped us help each other out. And it helped us see that we all kind of survive and thrive if we work together in a clan capacity. That was great and all back when we were in caves. Um, also, what was good when we were back in caves is our stress system, you know, the fight, flight, freeze response. That really worked well back then. But just like our stress response, this caveman brain doesn't work as well. And it's very similar, really, truly think of it like the stress response. It's automatic. It's constantly scanning the environment and it's telling you where you don't fit in. Because back then, if you didn't fit in, if you didn't do your role correctly, if you did not honor the hierarchy, you would have been kicked out of the clan and you would have died. So there's a reason we are so critical and judgmental of ourselves. It helped us survive, but now it really doesn't work anymore. It's so outdated and just understanding that that's where it comes from and it's something to manage is a huge eye-opener because I feel like in our society, we think because there are, these thoughts are automatic, there are thoughts. You know, we're the ones thinking this. We're the ones looking out and having this inner monologue of what the world is. And that's actually false. And that blew my mind. Yeah, it's very interesting. Like you said, it's a very old system that just didn't scale up with society. I assume because we went through some very rapid shifts and like our brain just doesn't function like that like it tries to keep us alive right like you said like this is the very basic function work with the tribe and your brain hasn't changed to like oh we need a society level brain instead of like what if i let the fire go out kind of an exactly <laughs> yeah and like and you see it all the time and it almost is comical when you now think about it because like i do it in my life where we see, we always want to be part of the in-group. The tribal brain thinks of in-groups and out-groups. Like, who is part of the plan, plan? And then who is the enemy? You know, who could threaten us and take our resources? Who do we have to watch out for? And so we walk around life constantly trying to be in in-groups, but there are thousands of in-groups nowadays. You know, there's online in-groups. There are in-groups with work. There are in-groups in social life. I mean, so we're constantly trying to mold and fit ourselves into these myriad, like, groups that we think we're seeing, which aren't really real, if you know what I mean. And that is no wonder we're all so exhausted and anxious and depressed. I mean, that's an impossible task. It was okay when we lived with 30 people. It can't work anymore when we interact with hundreds in a day, you know? Yeah, that's really interesting because you see like groups of people talking every day, right? And you're like, oh, I wonder what they're talking about, but I'm not really a part of like, I don't know these people that well, so I'm not going to associate with it. And then you start to have that thought like, what if it's about me? <laughs> oh no, what if it's about me? <laughs> you know, I always think everyone is cooler than I am. I just walk around like everyone has more friends. I, everyone is hanging out together and I'm not invited and I'm not cool and I don't know how to keep friends. I mean, it's just where my tribal brain goes. And this was such a huge thing to release it because then also you release it in the moment when you're talking with someone. I mean, I used to spend all my time thinking, are they judging me? Did I say the right thing? Are they thinking that's stupid? Are they, do they wish they were talking with someone else? you know, and not me. I'd be looking for a better person to talk to in the room. So my tribal brain would go when I was talking with someone and to think, no, this is automatic. It's, it, it's let it go. I could actually focus on that person. And we always have, I like, now I have way better conversations because I'm not in my head paranoid about what the other person's tribal brain is thinking, essentially, you know? Yeah. So how do you kind of you know, like you said, it is so automatic. How do you start recognizing that? Like for all the rest of us, 
how do we figure out that that's happening in the moment and not just like, you know, let it be a background process? Yeah. So there are a few things the tribal brain does consistently. What it loves to do is describe things. And this is really in labeling. So when you find yourself saying something like, I'm dumb, or I'm uncool, or, you know, they're cooler, you're like, oh, that's my tribal brain. Um, another thing that the tribal brain loves to do is compare. It's constantly comparing you to everyone else because it's trying to get you to fit into the clan. So comparing made sense. But now, so if you find yourself being like, you know, thinking he's so much more successful or that, oh my gosh, they did such a better job. You're like, that's my tribal brain. So whenever you're having one of these negative thoughts, it's, you can recognize them, like, it's pretty obvious, especially if they're just happening automatically. So the one that happened for me where it really was the aha, I'm standing in my shower, I'm just washing my hair. And my, I was thinking about my brother and sister-in-law and I'm like, man, they're so cool. Like they, you know, my brother has a job and he teaches a university course and they've got these kids and this dog and my sister-in-law is helping out her friend. And I was like, they're just like, they're, they're just like rocking it. Right. And then I thought, well, that's because they have lives and you don't. And I literally, my hands dropped and I was like, that was the meanest, nastiest thing my tribal brain could ever say. So if you're hearing a nasty thought, it's your tribal brain. And this, when you label it and see it as that is actually what kicks you out of it and lets you be like, you know what? I'm, I don't, I'm not going to care about that thought anymore. I'm not going to believe it anymore. You know? Yeah. Is it something that we should just like a hundred percent of the time, write off what we're hearing coming out of that that thought process? Actually, yes. I mean, I and if something that it is saying is somehow resonating, then sure, you can kick it over to where you actually think through it and you and you think of it in terms of goals or in terms of problems. Like you can go that route, but what you're gonna see is that most of it really doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't really matter what other people think of you. At the end of the day, like, that doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter to people, please. So one thing that's a real priority for the tribal brain is empathy. You know, if we all help each other out, then the clan does better. And you think that this is such a wonderful thing, but where it manifests in our society is people pleasing. And so when you start saying it doesn't matter if I please this person or not, that that's a huge shift and the world is not going to end. Like it will be okay. It's just, we're so stuck in it. It's hard for us to even think that that's possible. Yeah. It's like you can have that empathy, but you should choose when to use it and not just, you know, blanket apply it and think if you don't, you're a bad person. Absolutely. So like a way to use empathy is instead of saying yes to every single thing that everyone's asking you to do or to shift yourselves to be exactly what you think they want. It's when your friend's really struggling and you're having a conversation with them, it's to feel that emotion of that empathy and then to, interestingly enough, kick into your central executive by really focusing on them and turning off your inner monologue and just being present with them. And that is the greatest gift you can give them. So yeah, we can use it to help us, but it's really if we're, we can get the most bang out of it if we go into our central executive and be really present. Gotcha. I do like that, you know, you have that statement where you're like, 100% shut it out. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's not like, it's so old, it's not a good functioning you know, software for your human brain to be running. So and, like, and you know, what it does is it causes stress responses. Like those two systems go hand in hand. They were our caveman systems. And so the more we shut it out, the less stress we're going to get. And that's going to help everything in our lives as well. You know, so there's so many downstream benefits to shutting this thing out that will really amaze you as you start to do it. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of that. Like, is there aspects of our life that we go through every day or pretty frequently at least that causes like more of a response from this tribal brain part of us? Such a good question. So, yes. And um, this this really drove me nuts. So as I was writing the book on this and I haven't put it out yet, but go to my website and like click on the newsletter because it's coming out soon. Um, 
as I started writing the book, I couldn't turn the darn thing off. And I'm like, why am I stuck in my tribal brain? Like how, what is going on here? I'm writing the book on it and yet I can't get out of it. And so as I got into it, what I noticed is so stress, when you get stressed, our brain is almost like a, like an Amazon inventory system where like the last thing in, like the last thing to evolutionary de- evolutionarily develop is the first thing out. So like, since our central executive was the last thing that developed, our brain shuts it down and it focuses on the more primal survival parts of us, AKA the tribal brain. And so it will be impossible to get out of your tribal brain when you're really stressed. One thing I do though, is when I am stressed like that, I just take those thoughts way less seriously. I'm like, I get it's tribal brain. I get it as tribal brain and I have them and like they're there and they don't feel good but I can, I can turn down the volume on them a little. The second one is when we're really tired. So when we're tired, even if we're awake, this is the craziest thing ever. You will have parts of your brain that literally start sleeping. Like the brain tries to help itself and it needs to repair. And so if you're working and working, like I was doing, you know, 18 hour at McKinsey every single day, there was a time when after one of those periods of really not sleeping, where I really struggled to form sentences. And that's that a chunk of my brain fell asleep. So if you get really exhausted, you're going to have a really hard time turning off your tribal brain. And then the last one to mention is if you get very emotional. So this is called an amygdala hijack. The amygdala is the part of the brain that deals with all our fear and our stress. And so when it flares, one of the things it does, just like when it comes to stress, it goes into survival mode. It shuts off the central executive. You have no hope of getting out of your tribal brain. But you can then remember like, oh, I got to take care of myself. I've got to get sleep. I've got to, you know. I've got to get over this hump of whatever is stressing me out, or I have to cool down emotionally and then know that your central executive will come back online and you will be able to think it through more clearly later. And those are a rough three to be paired together. Like, oh, here's the three that make it worse. Also, they're super connected because (laughs) if you are feeling very emotional or very stressed, they kind of cross over and pair. And if you lose sleep over that, you make it worse. (laughs) It's so true. It's this, it's a mess, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So when you get in one of those states, and since they all do go well together, you're just like, you know, what? I just have to get through this. That's all there is. And like, I will come out of it. I think that was one of the things that I struggled with after the divorce was I didn't see a way I didn't think it would get better. You know, I didn't think I'd be able to feel better. And so now knowing this research, I know no, I will 100% feel better and probably sooner than I think. Probably after one good night's sleep, everything will look different. And so it, it it helped me with some of those harder times. Yeah, just to know that like this is not permanent. Nothing that's happening is permanent. I can take small steps to make each thing better. Is this something, I know you're not like a sleep specialist, but now I have this question. Can we take naps to help recover from some of that like poor general sleeping yes if you can nap that would that's a fantastic thing to give your brain a full brain sleep would be incredibly helpful but often when i'm stressed i find that's when it's really hard to nap and that's really when it's really hard to fall asleep at night because my tribal brain is going and going and going and it's making it so i can't get calm enough to fall asleep and that's a pain in the neck Yeah, I was wondering because I've had those periods, you know, I get so busy and I get so overworked that like I will lay in bed at night and just stare at the ceiling for hours and then I'll get up and I'll just start working on stuff. And when I'm finally done and I feel like, oh, I could relax and I could take, you know, I could take a brief nap or something like I'm, I've come down enough that I could take a nap. Then I'm like, well, it's not sleep time, so I shouldn't be taking a nap. This isn't helpful for me to just like zonk out for a couple hours or something. Yeah. And funny enough, that's actually like the most helpful thing you could do would be to zonk out. And, you know, this is where I feel like we've completely gotten it wrong. Like we another thing I used to think a lot when I was younger is that there's no time for hobbies. Hobbies, you know, are a wasteful way to spend time when, you know, you need to be working, you need to be advancing yourself or being there for someone. 
And oops, I got that totally wrong because hobbies are a place where we naturally focus easily. And so what hobbies do is strengthen your central executive network because you get focused, you get immersed in it. And the more you strengthen your central executive network, the better you can focus at work, the better you can focus on your family and friends. Like it literally helps every single part of your life. It, it protects you from developing depression or anxiety, which are both disorders of the tribal brain. Like it is, so essentially it's one of the best places to be spending your time and the most helpful for your overarching everything. And I didn't get that earlier, you know? Yeah, I'm glad I have most of the bad habits. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all do. Right. But I, I think I get that because, you know, when you focus on your hobby, I guess I have some you know, potentially obscure ones. But when I focus on it, like there's nothing that my tribal brain could activate over because it's like, there's no social aspect to this. There's no like stress response. Like if I mess up, what does it matter? Because there's no, there's no risk involved in what I'm doing. So I guess I could see where it's like your tribal brain just is like, okay, I guess it's my nap time now. <laughs> Shut <laughs> off. Exactly. Yeah. And then that will help you when you do get into the social situation and get into the other places. And that's pretty wild to me, but cool. Yeah, absolutely. So you said, you know, a part of this, like part of what the tribal brain does for most people and not in a positive way is it gives them depression and anxiety. Is there a reason that we're seeing those things worsen? Because it seems like you know, everyone says you know, back in the 50s, nobody had all these problems. And now everyone seems to have these problems. Is that just a gross understatement of the facts? Or are we genuinely getting worse in some ways? Um, I think it's a bit of a yes and. And like to explain it, it's helpful to see how depression and anxiety actually function in the brain. So what depression and anxiety are is just when your tribal brain has gotten incredibly strong. So it like our brains are like muscles, you know, use it or lose it. And what you use is going to get faster and it's going to get um, stronger. And what you don't use is going to weaken. And so people with depression and anxiety, they have these negative self judgments and then they believe them. And so then they keep having them more and more and more. And they, and the tribal brain gets so strong that it then colors all the rest of the world and everything seems like a fight. It feels like, you know, there's no point, you know, there, everyone hates me. You know, I, I don't have any value. And the extreme of this is a suicidal thought, which is functionally the tribal brain outgrouping that person. And this was one of also the keys for me of, wow, this is really why I need to stop listening to this thing. Because what the tribal brain does, it looks at all of the data points and it sees that, wow, like in my situation, like, you know, your husband left you, you're, you're in California when you're a New Englander, like you feel a complete world away. I felt like my external environment was outgrouping me. And therefore, my mind went to the place, my tribal brain went to the place of, okay, you probably should just like kind of go out to the forest and, you know, do away with yourself. And so why have we been listening to something that will functionally kill us off? You know, it's more like a cancer, you know, it's more, it, it, it doesn't, it's not smart enough to not kill itself in the process. It's that far back in our evolution. And all a suicidal thought is, is that idea of, I feel like I'm outgrouped from my world and therefore I don't belong anymore. So to your question of why is this getting so much worse, technology has played a huge role in how these two systems function because with all of the stuff moving online, like directions and checkbooks and math, we do not use our central executive near as much as we used to. Secondly, then there's social media, which is a candy store for the default mode. It just gets to sit there and look at the world, look at all the people in it and compare us against them and see how they're prettier or they're wealthier or they're happier. And we're like, wow, like we stink, right? And so it 
us all going online and spending so much time in our on our phones has literally created an environment in which we strengthen the tribal brain, weakening the central executive, and that's how depression and anxiety happens. So that's why rates are getting higher. Interesting. It's really strange that like, you know, the purpose behind this tribal brain was to keep you alive and it's the most likely thing to kill you <laughs> from Isn't the Isn't it? Exactly. It is wild that way. Yeah, that's where we're really at. It's really outdated. <laughs> like, Yeah, I'm like, that is crazy to think about. Because, yeah, you're like, that thought is coming from inside you. And it's coming from the part of you that's supposed to be keeping you alive. And instead, it's it, it has a risk of potentially, you know, doing away with your life. I mean, this is where it starts to all click together. You know, this is where... Um, like veterans, they they're they struggle a lot with potentially suicidal thoughts and their worlds. I mean, they used to have a very concrete, established in group. You know, there were norms, there was a hierarchy, they were valued, and then they come try to come back and reintegrate into society. So they've lost their in group. You know, they're trying to build in groups here. And so I 100% see where their tribal brains are like, I don't fit. And, and that's devastating, you know, because these are incredible, talented, purpose-driven people that we want to excel in our world. And yet this darn tribal brain is giving them this other story that's awful, you know? Yeah. And that actually, it like, it clicks in with, you know, I have some, some friends that work in the emergency medical field. And that makes a lot of sense because they have a lot of these moments where we're talking and they're like, you know, I, I just feel so bad at work. I don't feel like I'm doing what I should be. And I think that's because they're told, like, you're here to save lives. And then they are not always doing that. Like, there's a lot of the time in the day where they are just doing kind of like helping people behavior. And because they're not told, like, oh, your job is to help people, they're told your job is to save lives. Like, when they're not doing that, I think they are kind of telling themselves, like, I'm failing at my job, even though... I haven't done anything wrong. That is such a great example. And that's that tribal brain just getting it a little off. Like, oh, you're not saving a life. Oh, you failed. I mean, it's so either or and it's so black and white and, you know, dumb in its way, you know, and it's a travesty to me that we've all been listening to this thing for as long as we have and believing that it's our true thoughts. And rather than being able to see it and be like, you know what? forget it. So it's my tribal brain. Let it go. Ha ha. You know, look how dumb we used to be. You know, I mean, I don't know, whatever it takes. Yeah. And we certainly have not outgrown some of that because like you said, we look at social media and we think, wow, look at these people who are living, you know, a thousand percent better than me all the time. Like their life is so perfect all of the time. And I have kind of always said, and I love the quote, I have no idea where I heard it or I would constantly be referencing that person. But they said, if the grass is always greener on the other side, it's probably because it's fake. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that tracks with like the entirety of social media is you don't put anything but your best stuff out there. So no one sees your lows. No one sees that like, oh, other people are going through this. You know, and it actually explains why here we live in the most advanced technological and and like the most knowledge-based society ever. You know, the standard of living is the highest for the greatest percentage of the population that it's ever been. You know, we have warm water, we have heat and electricity. I mean, this is really cool stuff, right? And yet people are kind of acting dumb right now. You know, we are having fights break out on the House floor. We have people that are, you know, being violent to stewardesses on airplanes. I mean, there's there's a place where people aren't acting their best. And it's because they're reverting back to this tribal brain. They're spending so much time online and in this tribal brain mode that it's turning them almost into cavemen. And we kind of all have to wake up to that th this is happening and to recognize that we can do better than this. And we can do better by going to the part of our brain where we really choose what we want to think rather than just reacting to this automatic brain that's constantly stressed and freaked out about everything, you know? Yeah. So from your perspective, is the move we need to make to just like quit social media? Or is there some benefit we still have in like 
connecting socially somehow online? You know, I've thought a lot about this. And yes, there's always that camp that, yeah, so if you go off social media, that can really help. Um, But I do think there is a place in our world for social media because it is how you can connect with who you want your in-group to be. So this is a wonderful shift you can make in your life is to say, you know, instead of just trying to fit into every in-group I see in the world, I'm going to decide what my in-group is. I'm going to decide who I care about, who who matters to me, who I want to help. And so social media is a place where you can find those public figures that connect to what you're most interested in. Um, Like little secret on me, I don't connect to anyone I know. On social media, I like so I'm connected to everyone I know on Facebook, right? I never go on it because that being with my peer group, I just know flares my tribal brain and is like, you're not look at everything you're not doing and what you haven't accomplished and that, you know, you don't have this and you don't have that. It's a nightmare for me. So what I've done with my Instagram is I've only connected with thought leaders that I like or people that have like wildly different lives that I think is fascinating. Like uh, I follow a girl named Cecilia who lives on this island really near the North Pole and she's in the middle of polar night. So her day is black all the time. That's kind of interesting. What's it like to walk your dog at 11 a.m. and it's darkness. Um, So I use my social media to gain exposure to things I never otherwise would have, but then I also don't use it in the ways I know was really going to hurt my mental health. Yeah. That's interesting because I also don't use Facebook. Like I have, I have a Facebook group where I'm like, here's the just dumb enough Facebook group. If people want to interact with each other on there, I generally don't look at it because I just avoid Facebook. I am part of that. Like, I had to make a hard cut because every time I was on there, I just felt bad. Like I did, I was disconnecting from people that I thought I was, you know, better friends with. And so I'm like, I got to shuffle this away. But my Instagram is entirely different because I just follow people almost exclusively that they have like a skill that I think is really cool. Yeah. And like, that's it. Doing exactly what I'm doing. That is crazy and awesome. And it works, right? I mean, it's a nice place to go. I'm, I'm, you're interested going on to it instead of feeling really depressed. Yeah. I'm like, wow, look at what people can do when they have some downtime or they can work on their craft a lot. Like they get really cool stuff that otherwise I would think was impossible. And now I'm seeing like firsthand. Yeah, that's the best of social media. And I feel like a lot of Facebook and interacting with our peer group is the worst. I mean, there's a range. And I think that there's spreads to that on everything, right? Like there is for sure parts of Instagram that are just like Facebook. And there's parts of Facebook that has like communities that are, are very cool. Like a community is kind of a neat thing to have built into a social media platform. Not that I use it, but I know that some people do and they really like those things and that's kind of cool. So it's, it's finding like the beneficial parts and not just like cutting it out entirely is what I'm hearing. Yeah. It's, you know, it's being, it's having that self-awareness of like, where are the in groups that uh, give me a lot of anxiety and really make my tribal brain flare. And where are the in groups where I actually feel connection support and lack of judgment and are really a beneficial part of my life. And and yeah, if you find a Facebook group that's doing that for you, that is fantastic and go for it. Um, and it's then just being aware of what are those groups that are not and then getting those out of your life. It's a personal process for every one of us. So in doing some of that, you're like, okay, these things are just bad for me. Is it good to have like a 100% I'm nailing it right now. Like I am perfect and I don't need to work on anything. Is that like the mindset we should work towards or is that also like too extreme? (laughs) Um, That actually, you know what? There's not really a world in which our brain thinks that way unless, unless probably you run more of the narcissism or kind of psychopathic kind of side. I mean, so if we look at how we think about ourselves and I haven't been in one of those brains, so I can't, I'm not, I'm just hypothesizing that. I don't even know for sure, but when we are brain, so I, we do something called comparing up is how I see it. And 
evolutionarily, again, guys, this made sense. So let's say someone in your clan figured out how to sew pelts together and created a bigger blanket and was warmer at night. Everyone else would be like, oh, check out that blanket. Like, that's amazing. How did you do that? And like, okay, you did the sewing thing. And then they would start to do it too. And they're like, look at my amazing blanket. This is awesome. So we always looked to others on how we wanted to do things better. And it helped build our, you know, raise our standard of living for everyone. Well, there no, we don't need to raise our standard of living anymore. Standard of living is beautiful. Like now is the time to stop comparing up. And so the brain doesn't really think I'm awesome. The brain is always comparing up. So a better place to sit is actually in that just present focus. If it's focusing on your environment and like really focusing, focusing to the place that the inner monologue does go away. Um, focusing on a friend, focusing on the color of the sky. It can be as dumb as you want, but when you focus on that, then that to me is almost the best of the human experience. So it's not necessarily like lifting ourselves up and saying we're awesome. It's more being present to this wild experience of being on this planet that is rocketing around at like 45, you know, a thousand miles per hour and, and, and being in that moment. And that's humans at their best to me. Yeah. I like that because it made me think where I was like, okay, what is the other extreme? If we can deny all this bad stuff, which obviously like we should, like you said, a hundred percent rejection of that tribal brain. And I'm like, okay, what if we went the other extreme? And I'm like, I've met people like that. And I don't know if they're happy, but I'm not happy being around them. Yeah. <laughs> like they're kind of miserable to be around, but I'm sure they're enjoying themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, and from a psychological perspective, they often say that those people that are out there saying how awesome they are, are often doing it from an inherent lack of confidence and so they're trying to prove it to themselves by proving it to the world so yeah i mean there it is uncomfortable to be around that it's way more fun to be around someone who is relaxed really there and kind of enjoying life for what life is you know yeah. it's not all that stuff somebody who's not afraid to like just take a deep breath and do absolutely nothing exactly yeah so can we use our or I should say, how can we use our central executive network to like better connect with the people around us? Because we don't want to build that like exclusively tribal bond. So how can we use this kind of like processing and problem solving part of ourselves to connect better with people? Yeah, that's such a good question. So um, my where I my training ground for how to do that happened with my six year old son. And this kid can talk and he creates these stories that are wacko. You know, they're, you know, the dinosaur and then the alien and then this and they go on and on and on. And as a parent, like it was so easy to tune that out. Right. Yeah. And just start thinking about what am I going to make for dinner? And do I need to go to the grocery store? And so I started trying this out with him and in when we were playing together and what it was, was really to focus on what he was saying. And every time I was struggling with it to try to pull myself back and your brain is going to have a hard time with this. This is just like how people have a hard time with meditating because it is used to prioritizing the tribal brain. It is used to you listening to it. It's used to you caring of what it says. And so it will always kick you back there. And the more time you spend being like, I don't want to hear it. I'm going to focus on what this kid's saying. The easier it will become. And then it's interesting seeing people's reactions back because then they know you're really there and you're really listening. And it really improves your relationships with everyone that you that you're with. And so this is to say it will be hard, like it's not easy, but it gets easier over time, focusing on what they say, they're saying and dismissing this tribal brain. You know, one thing that really helped me in making that shift was I had in my mind that like my central executives, my CEO brain, that's me choosing how I like what I want to be focused on in life. And this is not to say I want to be focused on this big goal. Like this is to say I want to be focused on just walking my dog and not thinking it's so cold. I don't want to be out here. Why is it so cold? What's it, when is it going to be summer? I want it to be summer, right? I just want it to be. And so what came to me is that I'm the CEO and I'm behind my desk and I have an employee. This is your tribal brain. 
that is complaining about office dynamics, always complains that they're never getting enough credit and that this and this and this, and they won't shut up. And it is up to me to take that employee and say, go back to your cubicle. Like you're not doing a good job right now. You need to go to your cubicle and keep working so that I could then shut the door and focus on what I really cared about. And so that mental image really helped me. And when I'm talking with people, it's like, shut up. Like, I just want to focus on this person. And it worked. It was great. Yeah. You're like, look, what you're bringing to me is not a CEO level problem. <laughs> Get out yeah. of here or you're fired. <laughs> Like if we think of these all as tools, like love my eyeballs, they bring me all of this interesting information, love my nose, like love taste, eating is fantastic. Um, this thing is not bringing a lot of value. And so like low value employee needs to get put aside. And there's a lot of interesting ways, I guess, that this happens and we don't think about because your tribal brain probably says things like you have to eat fast because you don't know when your next meal is going to be and you got to get back to work. And your central executive part of your brain is the part that like can eat slow and enjoy food and be like, oh, wow, this food tastes better than I ever thought it did if I just eat slowly. <laughs> that is exactly it in a nutshell. Yeah. And you know what? I always thought like, oh, the prefrontal cortex, it's all the like really sophisticated stuff. No, it actually is as simple as like, no, I really want to enjoy this. This tastes delicious. I want to focus on this. Like it does work at that level too. And that's really cool. Yeah. Cause I had a, um, like a food specialist that was on here and he was just talking about like going slow and breathing while you're eating. And I was like, <laughs> do I not breathe when I eat? <laughs> so I had to like, I just took something really, really easy and it was jerky for me. And I just like, okay, well, I chew jerky super fast because it's usually like an on-the-go snack. I'm like, I'm going to eat this super slow. And it's a way different food than I thought it was. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I haven't been breathing when I eat. Great. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I love that I need to be taught that. Yeah. I need to be taught to breathe. You know, that's the thing that also blew my mind as I started doing this is I was shocked how much of my life I wasn't present. Like I wasn't aware of what I ate. I wasn't aware of what my kid was saying. I really wasn't even aware of like what other people were saying. I mean, I, and I was, I was focused so much on what my tribal brain was saying that I wasn't actually there for my life. And so shutting this thing off suddenly like, yeah, you taste your food again. You know, you actually hear what your friend is saying instead of thinking of the five things you have to do. It, it's interesting that it brings presence into our lives in a way that I didn't expect. Yeah. In a way, it kind of gives you your life back because you're living your life, but you're not actually experiencing it. You're just, you're kind of surviving instead of living. Yes. And it makes sense because the tribal brain spends all of its time thinking about the past to try to learn lessons to protect you spending all this time thinking about the future to try to figure out how you're going to act so that you do okay so you don't die. And But life is happening in the present. So this is where all these wellness experts are all like, you know, the present moment is the way to peace and everything in life. And it's like, yes, but now I know why. I know it, you know, it's, it is that because it's getting you out of your tribal brain, which is spending all its time in the past and the future. Like, this is the science behind what these gurus have been saying forever. And that's so cool. Yeah. And I like to have this explanation to where you're like, here is the hard data that we have where we're like, this is the reason you need to be present because we've been saying stay present for, I don't know, thousands of years now. Like, that's core tenets of a lot of lifestyles is like, use meditation to stay present since the year zero. Yep. <laughs> We've known that for a long time. We just don't think about why we're not doing it. Yeah. And and why it matters, you know, and like it, we've been living in this survival mode that we can release and let go of. I mean, it reminds me of when we finally figured out that smoke, that smoking causes cancer. Well, then suddenly now we have a reason to stop smoking. You know, it's not just gurus being like, hey, I feel better. Like you can feel better, too. You know, it feels less sleazy. It's research based. It's the science of why. And it makes it so much easier to then do it. And speaking of smoking, it makes me think of people like coping with the things that your tribal brain is causing you. 
Because like you said, having this extra stress, being emotional, being tired, people will use a lot of things to kind of numb those emotions out or to just like ignore them. Where you're like, oh, I'm going to, you know, pop in a, a Zin, like a nicotine pouch, or I'm going to go have some drinks after work, or, you know, I'm going to smoke on my break, whatever it is to like, it feels like a coping mechanism now that I'm thinking about it, where you're like, you're trying to override that with like an outside stimulus. Colton, you're hitting on something so huge. And it I found this part of the research absolutely riveting. So like nicotine is a perfect example. It actually activates your central executive network and it shuts down your tribal brain. So that's why people love taking smoke breaks at work because if your tribal brain starts going, they go down and have a smoke. Suddenly they have a substance that turns turns off those thoughts and then helps them focus. Like no wonder it's one of the most addictive substances in the world. Alcohol, same thing. It shuts, it, it impairs the, the functional connectivity of the tribal brain. So this is why we all drink because then it shuts off those thoughts and suddenly we can enjoy being around people again. You know, we're not constantly worried about fitting in. And if the, you know, the clan's going to kick us out, we're like, this is awesome. But then if you keep drinking and as you drink over time, it actually impairs your central executive and it increases the functional connectivity. It strengthens your tribal brain. And so you get stuck thinking those thoughts more. Then you need the drink more to turn them off. And this is how people get into alcoholism. So when as I started looking at this, I was like, holy mackerel, we've had this awful thing ranting at us our whole lives. We find ways to stop it. Awesome just happens that all these ways are these addictive substances that actually really hurt us in life. I mean, it is hard to be human. Like <laughs> this is a tough situation. And like, it's great to now see there are healthier ways we can do this. Like I see why we all did that. And I have so much empathy for us in wanting to get rid of it. But those substances were all essentially trading one form of non-presence, which is your tribal brain, for a different form of non-presence. And we're so darn not present that that felt great. And like now it's cool. We're getting to the place to see there is a different way that gets rid of all of it that doesn't leave you hung over the next day. I mean, yay. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is there something to like, could we figure out? And I don't know if I'm even going to use the word like nootropics, I think, where people are like, you know, brain chemicals. Is there a way that we can supplement those in a way that's not super harmful or addicting that still lets us like, you know, while we're learning these processes, while we're learning to shut off some of that tribal brain function, is there something that we can do to help us silence it just a little bit to get more, you know, get more workout on that? central executive part of our brain we're like we're going to work this out and we're part of us working that out is to shut the other one off you know i think my answer on that is no i think this is like you know i think this is like going to the gym we have to do it ourselves we have to do those baby steps you know this is trying to build up to running a 5k you know it starts with a walk around the block like we have to do it step by step because if we if we introduce any substance, just like me with my antidepressant, you're gonna we're gonna all rely on those substances. Now, this is also to say, and there's a place for this where if you are struggling with severe depression, severe anxiety, think of your brain as your tribal brain is now a bodybuilder. I mean, that thing is beefy, and your central executive is super weak. And this is a place where it's all really hard to do it yourself. Like your brain is just structurally not going to be easy to get you out of that. And so that's the place for therapy. That's the place for medication. That's the place I was in and medication. My, you know, I took Zoloft. It really helped start to tamp those thoughts down and weaken them and helped me live, you know, breathe. And so, and think of it and you know, you don't have to be on it forever. You can think of it like a personal trainer. It's just something to start to rebalance those systems. And then you can take over when your central executives is stronger. But in the beginning, getting help is like the most important thing you can do. Gotcha. So we have some quality emergency stop gaps. Yeah, that's more where we are with the neurotro. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense because you're like, look, some of the stuff is very addicting 
and long-term is going to hurt you both physically and mentally. But it's good to, you know, also recognize, because I think a lot of people know it and maybe don't want to hear it, where you're like, these medications exist for a reason. They are very helpful. A lot of people do need them. Yeah. So, like, don't, don't shame them, but also don't, uh, you know, exclude them. Like, they exist. Yeah in a in a realm for a purpose and they're helpful you just don't want them to become the only thing holding you up kind of like what we said at the start of the show like it's the only thing propping me up and if i lose that i'm in a very dangerous situation we want to get as far away from that point as we can yeah using these helps and this is to say yeah you don't have to rely on that as your prop like you can do this yourself too once you get to a certain place of stability and feeling more engaged in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Which just to sum up some of that is like, we get rid of some of this negative thoughts that we have about ourselves, reject that feeling that we need to be involved in every group, embrace our hobbies, embrace the present. There's a lot of things that we talked about. Where we're like, if you just do some of these things, even one at a time, you're not going to get 100% there, but you're going to get 10% further. And every 10% adds up and soon you're like, oh, wow, I'm like 80% better than what I used to be. Yeah, it's really true. And I think the startling thing for me walking through that process is I didn't realize life was simpler. Like I had no idea. I was really complicating life by listening to this tribal brain. And when I started to shut it down, I was like, you know, it is simpler, you know, it's being in the shower and just experiencing a shower. And that's a really good feeling. Like warm water is amazing. <laughs> and so, and, and it's more when you move more into experiencing life rather than just analyzing life from the tribal brain, it's, it's more experientially fun. Like it feels better. And so it's a, it, it makes everything a little easier. And so that's something to look forward to is that simpler, easier, and, and, and it feels better that, that like good feeling kind of life. It's nice. Yeah. I was literally just thinking as you're like, oh, it makes life so simple. And I'm like, do I think about my life as very complex? And I'm like, I guess I tie everything together. And then as I was sitting here thinking like, oh yeah, if I, if I don't, get up right now and I don't shower as fast as I can and I don't get to work as early as I can and I don't work as hard as I can, then I'm not like, I can't live this comfortable life and I'm going to be very uncomfortable and I'm going to die alone. And I'm like, holy crap, I just had a tribal <laughs> thought inside of this interview about is my life complex? And I'm like, yes, because I'm thinking about it tribally. <laughs> Okay, I love that thought. And I because walking through that will be probably so helpful for listeners because this is exactly what we all do. So one of the uh, the last things, so we think in terms of in-groups and out-groups and fitting in, right? We think in terms of empathy and people-pleasing. The last one is we think in terms of hierarchies and roles. So what role am I playing and am I playing it well enough? And like, where am I in the hierarchy? And am I, am I, am I honoring the hierarchy well enough? So like, if you're scared to speak up in a meeting, you're having a hierarchy thought and you're sticking yourself at the bottom of the hierarchy and you're like, it's unsafe for me to talk, you know, and then work there, like give you the feedback. You need to be talking more in, in you know, in meetings. And But your tribal brain is telling you that's scary. Don't do it. Right. So in the case of yours, it's I need to be doing this role well enough. And if I don't, then, oh, my God, I'm, I'm going to not have enough money and I'm going to be homeless and I'm going to die. That is the tribal brain just nailing you and trying to get you to do this role that you've created in your head and as well as you possibly can, because otherwise you're going to die. And that is classic tribal brain thinking. Yeah. I, I was very surprised in that moment. Like I'm a little reeled right now where I'm like, I can't believe I just had that thought <laughs> literally sitting here talking to you where I'm like, well, yeah, but if I don't, if I don't do all the complex things, I'm going to die alone in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing. Isn't it dramatic? Yeah. I mean, it really used to freak me out. And I used to hold it kind of like a monkey on my back that I would be thinking these thoughts. I have been scared of being homeless my entire life and no one could convince me otherwise. You know, and I would sit in therapy and I'd be like, I'm, I'm so scared I'm going to be homeless. And they're like, really? And they like try to talk me through it and this and that. 
And it never did anything. It never helped me because it's my tribal brain. So like you can't argue, you can't rationalize with this thing. Um, what I write about in the book is like the tribal brain's on the level of a toddler or a dog. Like that's kind of where to place it. So you're not going to be able to argue with this thing. You have to train it. You know, you have to put it through dog training, essentially. And it's really awesome to separate from that crazy voice and not think that that's who you are and how you really feel. And it's actually just some, you know, holdover from way, way, way back when. Yeah. It's just part of our hardware and we have to live with it. Because <laughs> you're like, well, I've seen someone be homeless, so I know I could get there. So I know it exists. And that means it's dangerous to me. Survival, survival. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. But so, also, you're like, we got to train this dog. My immediate thought is like, can I Pavlov this thing? Can I like, every time my tribal brain doesn't have that thought where it's like, oh, maybe we won't die. I just ring a bell and give it a cookie. <laughs> like, <here. laughs> I actually I actually thought of it that way. I thought I also another mental image I had of my tribal brain because it loves to describe and label is it's like the over eager, like super smart, like second grader that like always raises their hand and like knows every single answer. And like, cause your tribal brain is so quick to be like, well, you know, you failed or like, you're going to get fired and, or like you suck essentially. Right. And that's that person being like, oh, I can label the world. I can describe what's going on. You suck. That's what just happened. And it's like, no, this is on my dumb brain. You know, I need to not be thinking about this anymore. <laughs> I love the thought of like, you know, a kindergartner raising their hand to be like, you suck. <laughs> Just yelling that out. Totally. You're like, boy, that kid's not helpful. <laughs> really not helpful. Um, um, another method I use, it's actually a dog training thing, is called a move of the dog. So in a nutshell, in dog training, um, in, in how dogs act in clans, because this is a clan thing, is there's an alpha and the alpha takes care of the group. And when a clan is at rest, the alpha will walk around and and walk into another dog's face. And if that dog moves, that's them uh, uh, like saying, you are the alpha, I acknowledge your leadership. If the dog doesn't move, then it means I am contesting your leadership and we now need to fight. And then whoever wins is the one who will become the new alpha. We have to move the dog, we have to become the alpha of our brains. Right now we are letting the default, we're letting this tribal brain run it for us, right? And it's time for us to now start stepping in its space and saying, no, I'm alpha now. And it's just to say, nope, I'm not listening. Nope, I don't care. And the more you, I mean, your brain is trainable. The more you tell your brain that you don't care about those thoughts, the less you're going to have them. Yeah, I think that's a great way to look at it. We've given people kind of a lot to think about here and a lot of good tips. Is there anything we didn't cover where you're like, man, I love to talk about this thing, but we just didn't get to it? We really covered everything. I'm thrilled. Thank you so much, Colton. It's been such a pleasure to be here. Yeah, of course. I love having you on. This has been an incredible time. I've had a lot of fun with it. Um, I wanted to make sure I give a moment to plug, you know, where people can find you and your st the stuff you're working on and this book coming out. Like, tell them all the things so that they can find it. Yeah. So I have a website, guys. Go on to www.betsyholmberg.com. So that's B E T S Y. H O L M B E R G. And you'll get a free course on there. I put a course up. I want, I want everyone working with this. So um, go, you know, feel free to take the course. We go a little deeper into these topics. And then I'll, there's a blog where we talk about other things. Feel free to follow me on Instagram, but you'll also see updates on when the book is coming out. And that will be awesome. Awesome. And I will throw the link to that in the show notes. So if oh, you're listening to this, you can open up the description. There should be a clickable link that will take you directly to her website. And then when this book comes out, if you pick it up online, which most people do nowadays, leave good reviews for it because that helps this book, number one, get like top rated right away. And then later on, it helps people keep finding visibility so then they can help shut this down. If they're not finding this show and listening to things like this, they don't know it's existing. So help other people find ways to live better lives. Yay. Thank you again for being on the show. I've appreciated it immensely.
Thank you, Colton. Do you feel more educated after having listened to this episode of the Just Dumb Enough podcast? If so, please take a brief moment to rate the show five stars on iTunes, Spotify, or Audible. If you really liked it, remember to subscribe for more episodes every week and check out the now over 100 episode backlog. Let me know what you'd like to hear next by reaching out and emailing me, dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com, or by sending a message to any of the show pages on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or wherever else you find me. I'm always looking for new topics, guest ideas, and questions from the audience. That's it for this week. I hope you enjoy your weekend, and I'll see you all back here Monday, where we'll learn just how racist we are. Bye bye